listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Last week we started kind of unpacking this methodology a little bit. We started talking, for instance, about the uh, Four Noble Truths real just basic basic uh, teaching that the Buddha gave saying number one life sucks number two there's a reason why life sucks number three there's an ending to these causes and conditions that lead to a sucky life and number four here's how you do it pardon my French if you don't like the verb pick your own but Life is hard. Life is hard. We have a difficult time. And that's really natural. Awakening is the freedom from that difficult time. And that is not natural. It's not natural for us to walk around as enlightened beings because we have all this biological material, all this apparatus that helps us see that Wow, you know, I am separate from that person. I am separate from that situation. I am totally separate from that belief pattern. I am separate from that particular opinion. All right? We have all these reminders that we're separate. We're separate. And where we go with this teaching is to recognize that that separation is, in fact, mind-made. Does that make sense? That it's mind-made. Now, you might be sitting there and say, okay, that makes sense, but in practicality, that's bizarre, and that's fine. That's why this is a practice. Okay? What we do in this work is to still our minds. We still our minds until we develop a certain spaciousness between our thoughts. We start to see that there's this opening. And the more we meditate, the more this opening avails itself to us. And the more this opening avails itself to us, the more we can kind of recenter our activity. Instead of being in the midst of the hustle and bustle of mental activity, we can source our, acti- our activity from this space between the thoughts. Our intention changes in that moment, and as our intention changes, everything else follows suit. Everything else follows suit. We begin to attract an entirely different life. The resonance just shifts. It changes. So, essentially, the way we go about doing this is to incorporate stillness. Now, for those of you who have been sitting with me for a while, at this moment, the minute I start saying the word stillness, everybody kind of rolls their eyes and goes, oh, I'm sick of him saying that. But it's really quite elemental in this, in this work. That in each of us that wants to avoid stillness is precisely the same thing that wants to sabotage awakening. So look very carefully at that. If you can see that tendency, if you can see kind of this, this uh, entity or an energy pattern or whatever it is, it kind of starts, mm, nope, not doing that. Okay, cool.
cool. Right there, you feel, you can feel the skin of ego. It's a phrase we use periodically. You can feel the skin of ego. And ego is a divine manifestation of the infinite, just like everything else. Our relationship to it, however, can become muddled. We believe it's the fundamental, pure, only reality. And what we're trying to uncover here in ourselves is that there's more. That's all. There is nothing about this teaching that is asking you to kill the ego. There's everything about this practice, about this teaching, that is suggesting and offering a different way to relate <coughs> to that ego. That's all. So you only have to move this much. You only have to adjust this much. But major things happen when we do that. So there are certainly, I'm not, as I've mentioned before, I'm not the only game in town. Okay, there are all sorts of ways that you can go about doing this. Some people might feel much more comfortable with a more rigorous traditional approach. And I totally understand that. I certainly did. Okay. Um, some people might, in fact, like no rules. You know? And that's fine, too. Uh, however, I think that the hyper-structured uh, hyper environments and the utter lack of structure will inhibit awakening as much as anything. So walking kind of in this middle middle way, I think, is very, very important. The path is really, really quite clear. It, it literally avails itself to us as we begin to just kind of quiet down. But there are shortcuts. And the shortcuts are quite simple. It goes like this. Teacher, teaching, and a group of spiritual friends. That is the that is the absolutely 100% fastest way to shifting that relationship that I was talking about. And I want to talk about this real quickly before we sit. Um, the relationship with the teacher is key. I touched on this last week, but I want to make sure everybody's really clear on this. There are all sorts of people out there who not only know what they're talking about, okay, but are living it. Follow them. Okay, follow, follow their lead. It doesn't mean you have to, you know, just totally melt every time you say, I mean, that gets, that gets quite silly. All the stuff we project onto people who are actually walking their talk can get really, can become quite a distraction. When I say follow them, I'm saying literally with your presence, follow their presence. What is different about them? Explore that. That's important. Okay, explore that. Are they, like I mentioned, walking their talk? Is there integrity? These are really cool litmus tests that every one of you can apply to any teacher, any spiritual teacher you might find. Okay? Um, I also think it's really helpful to have an actual connected relationship with them so you can talk with them, which is exactly what I do in this group. Um, before you've, I'm sure you've seen me sometimes where I, um, I meet people in the, uh, in the back room and we have uh, what we call dokusan, which literally means, means one mind. And that's where we meet, okay? S student comes up with a question, teacher responds, okay? It's such an amazing shortcut. It helps to tailor the teaching to your specific needs. 
So I'd recommend that if any of you ever want. I'm meeting with Kim tonight, and I'm trying to think. There might be one other person I was supposed to meet with. Kim, you're it. OK. <laughs> Sorry to embarrass you if I did. But the, the process for that, email me during the week, and I will schedule you if you want to have a, a meeting. Um, some people like the term interview. Interview. I, I like that one, too. Whatever you want to call it is fine. All right. That's a great way of actually allowing this teaching in. Okay. Um, the teaching itself. I happen to be a big fan of teaching that is rooted in a tradition, is influenced by a tradition. Uh, but it, more than anything else, it has to sing to you. It has to resonate within your heart and within your mind. If the teaching doesn't do that, shop around. Okay? Shop around. It's very important. All right? Because you'll find something. If your intention is pure, you're going to find purity at some point. Okay? But having a healthy dose of skepticism mixed in with what you're doing is critical in this work. Because I feel that there are a lot of people who, you know, despite the really good ones, there are also some uh, people that I think have, have real limited, limited views and try to disguise that limited view as something absolute. Lastly, the group of spiritual friends. This we call it Sangha. Sangha means group, and group can be like a, a community like this, like we have here. It can be a community of cells that we call a body. It can be a community of global citizens we call humanity. Okay? So group or Sangha can be any size. All right? But the key thing for a Sangha is not that you are with your best friends. They might turn out to be your best friends. That's wonderful. But more importantly, it's that there are people that are sitting to your left and sitting to your right that help inspire you to practice. You're all working together to go along in the same direction, and you may never hang out with them. You may never call them up and say, hey, do you want to go see a movie? You know, grab some pizza and beer after Sangha on Monday. You know, that's fine if that happens. But it's not, the, it's not the requirement. The requirement is that there is, you can affiliate yourself with people that you feel comfortable with, but ones also that push you. OK? So I wanted to kind of just toss that out there as three critical elements, because I've been getting emails this week for some strange reason about shortcuts. <laughs> it's very Western. You know? So wait, how can I do this faster? <laughs> well, it takes 10,000 hours, dude, you know? <laughs> um, but I, I hope that makes sense. The teacher, the teaching, and the group of spiritual friends, I think, really, really help this out. And if it's this group, if it's this teaching, if it's this teacher, great. If it's not, that's fine, too. Get something. It'll help. Okay. All right. So I'm going to sit for a little while. All right. Let whatever is be. Give your full presence to whatever is in your sitting. If you're watching your mind fly around, if you're otherwise engaged with your mind or your body, allow it fully. But bear witness to it. Give your full attention to whatever is going on. 
Okay, no matter what the mind is doing, give attention to it. No matter what the body, what the messages are that the body is sending, give full attention to it. And in that attentiveness, in that attentiveness, you'll uncover space. And if you don't uncover space and you find yourself frustrated, give full attention to that frustration. Okay? Full attention. Full attention. So how is it that we can uncover our awakening? How is it that we can kind of give a certain uh, test, if you will, to see where we are in this process? Um, this is a very common, common question, and I don't know that I can give you an answer that is super-duper direct, but I can tell you how the awakened among us tend to move through the world. And then you can measure, measure if, you, if you wish, uh, measure your experience against that without clinging to that. In other words, what the ego will love to do, once I give you this kind of explanation, the ego typically is going to just latch onto it and say, there it is, that's how, boy, okay, that's, that's absolutely unattainable. So therefore, what the heck are you doing here? You know, that type of thing. It'll hold on or reject as an ideal. And when we idealize anything, all we're doing is we're just creating mental stuff onto which we can grasp. And what's the one thing that gets in the way of awakening? Grasping. Okay? So, how does this unfold? Well, we will f find typically that the uh, awakened among us will have a fundamentally different relationship with their thoughts. They will have a fundamentally different relationship with their feelings. And they'll have a fundamentally different relationship with time. Okay? That's it. So what does this fundamentally different relationship mean? Just like I spoke about when we sit still, what we're doing is we're not denying the ego. We're certainly not trying to kill the ego. We're trying to recognize the ego. Get curious about this smallness within ourselves, this contracted sense of me, of mine, of I. Okay? And we look at it very carefully with an open curiosity, not with judgment. Why? Because if we're judging ego, Ego has come in through the back door of this process and started to manage it. I'll say that again. Ego has come through the back door if we, be, if we begin judging ourselves as, oh, God, that's, geez, you know, that's, that, I'm aware of that, and that's bad. I am witnessing this, and that is awesome. Right? That's just ego, once again, showing up and trying to wear this robe, Buddha's robe, Christ's robe, whatever you want to call it. Okay? Now, this is very natural, but we need to be really aware of that. Anytime there is resistance or grasping, that is great, grasping, yeah, or that is awful, rejection, that's ego. That's not curious. Curiosity is about wonder. It's about openness. It's about availability.
So if we truly have an open relationship to our thinking, okay, we have a relationship that is like this. Bring it. Wow. Curiosity. You know, that type of, that type of experience. Every one of us has that capacity. How about our feelings? Same type of thing. How many of us are desperate to feel a certain way? At least 90% of the time. All right? Maybe 85. 85% of the time we want to feel mm, not quite as sleepy. Or more, more involved with our community. Or drunk. Or, you know, just, just one more cookie. You know? Or man, I wish I felt more attractive, or I wish he or she was mine, right? We spend so much of our days, regardless of our situation, cultivating these wants and desires. We jones for feelings. I want more of that kind and less of that kind, all right? Now, there's nothing wrong with this. But that's all ego. That little switch in us that says, uh-huh, no, 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 uh-huh, no, no, that little thing. I'm getting a flashback of Madeline Kahn in um, History of the World, where she's going through which guy she wants to sleep with. And all you can see from the audience's perspective is, are their tuchuses. You see their butts. <laughs> and then you see her just going, yes, no, 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 yes, no, no, yes, no, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> This is a rated R uh, sitting tonight, so just forget. But it, it, it's it's that type of thing that ego does. Uh huh. Uh uh. Uh uh. Uh uh. Uh huh. And the really depressed ego. Uh uh. Uh uh. Uh uh. Right? It's really interesting how this in relationship to feelings. In relationship to feelings, we predicate lives on. This I want more of, and that I want less of. So I'm pulling myself over here, or over here, and we're always in motion, okay? In awakening, we've let that go. Whatever shows up is just fine. We become curious, just like we did with our thoughts. We become curious about our thinking. We become curious about our thought patterns. We become curious about our judgments, about our convictions, about our wants and desires, intellectually, with our mind. And our bodies, in our bodies, we do the same thing. Instead of jonesing for something, we become curious about that push or about that pull. We start to really drop into our bodily sense of what is, and we don't avoid it. We don't start judging our feelings. We are there for them totally. And we'll start to recognize that every one of those feelings, in an absolute sense, goes away, no matter how painful it is, no matter how glorious it is. It will go away. It is temporary. No matter, no matter how ugly a thought is, just like the feeling, it'll go away. No matter how amazing it is, it'll go away. It all goes away in time. 
Our third opening is in time. It's that very aspect of reality that carves days to shreds. Instead of being in the now, we are at 2.35 and someone's late. We are judging, bringing up stories from the past and writing stories about some future event, both of which are no longer here or have never yet been. Both are phantasms, both are unrealities that we give tremendous energy to. We give tremendous energy to the sense of time, past and future. Just think about this for a moment. And try this during the day. How many times do you reference the past during your day? Just give yourself 15 minutes if you can and see how much you're referencing the past going back. Yeah, well, he always did. Mm, that was one. I'm not kidding. He always, that's two. Whatever it happens to be. How many times do you reference the past? That sounded just like my mother, three, right? It might not be that deeply psychological. It might be something very actually superficial and um, benign. But nonetheless, that's where the ego must, it must have passed in order to survive. It must have passed in order to survive. Similarly, how about your future? If you're feeling worry, consider this. Worry is a thought projected in the future that has not happened yet as a way of keeping the mind oriented in time. As long as the mind can stay oriented in time, there is grasping. As long as there is grasping, there's no awakening. The ego does not want awakening because it means it has to move to the back of the bus. It means it's seen on stage as being an actor instead of the fundamental core of all reality. Its stories are no longer as relevant. So if we're projecting stuff into the future, yeah, but what if, you know, that tear between what is occurring right now and what might occur, the script that our ego has authored, that tear right there, we call stress. And we live that way sometimes. Here again, try tomorrow, seeing how many times there's a future reference in your mental experience. There is a way out of this trap. Your awareness of your future experience just like your awareness of your past experience can only arise in the present moment, now. And in the now, the ego can't work its magic. In the now, in the present moment, feelings are just feelings. They're prior to the ego's judgment of the feelings. The ego will label a feeling based on a past template or a future worry. It will do the same thing with our thoughts. 
it will use time to create a reference to the past or a future reference to what hasn't happened yet. So when we actually begin to bear witness to that with our full attention and we just get curious about what is, what unfolds is openness. What unfolds is peace, is non-suffering. Even if it's for a moment, we're no longer trapped. We're no longer hooked. We're no longer pinned down. There's a lightness. There's an acceptance. There's a surrender. There's a compassion. And there's a wisdom. Even if it's fleeting, we've experienced Buddha nature, our true nature, our big selves, our Christ consciousness, Atman. And we can enjoy each quivering moment, as Rumi says. So just to recap, watch your relationship to your thoughts. See if you can notice them. Notice the, especially the repetitious ones. And when you do, giggle slightly. Notice, notice your feelings. What are you Jones for? What do you really crave? What do you really want to avoid? Watch for those feelings. The watching of the feelings is not caught by the feelings. Just like the watching of the thoughts is not caught by the thoughts. And watch your relationship to time. Here again, your awareness, your watching of past and your watching of future is free from both. It is now. That's your freedom. That's awakening. That's your birthright. So I'm hopeful that um, that may have spawned uh, some some questions, um, more so than statements. Uh, reason being, questions. Uh, automatically take ego out of the equation. Statements, observations, testimonials are basically ego saying, well, here's what I think. There's nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't employ what we're really trying to elicit from this entire work, which is wonder. So I'll ask you, what do you wonder about, either in relationship to the talk, teaching, um, uh, any of this? Yeah. Is there uh, a wrong way to bring yourself back to the present just in, and I don't know if it's only Western, uh, where you're stuffing down the past or you're, you're trying to ignore issues that you might want to deal with if you're staying in the now, or is it just your relationship to those things where you should <coughs> let go versus pushing down? And if it is that... <coughs> How do you let go? Right. If letting go 
uh, ever feels like pushing away, it's grasping. It's non-letting go. So letting go, actually, that's a really common misunderstanding. Uh, letting go, actually, involves total alert presence in the face of whatever's showing up. That's letting go. Okay? Um, because you cannot be in any type of situation with a total alert presence if you're doing this. You're automatically in that moment divided. And in that division, uh, all sorts of clinging shows up. And so the wrong way, technically to answer your question, the wrong way would be any methodology that involves pushing or pulling. Any methodology that involves pushing something away or pulling at something else or even pulling at that, you know, shaking it at the, by the collar or whatever. Any pushing, any pulling. So you kind of have to go with your gut when you're saying, I'm going to focus on the present. If you're running from something, in order to stay in the present, you a smooth way to enter right now and a way that says, I don't want to deal with that. I'm going to stand right here and drive. Right, right. And standing right here and driving implies doing. And doing is resisting not doing. So I would be really careful to look so care, just look so with, I'm using the word purposely, with care, carefully. Looking at your situation is letting go of your situation. Doing something is not letting go of your situation. Okay? So that doesn't mean the doing can't apply to a situation. It means that the doing must be informed by openness. And then guess what? That doing is the answer to someone's prayer. Okay? It's an appropriate response. It can't help but be an appropriate response when it comes from release. Okay? If we ever enter into the present moment, you're never not in the present moment. So ego right there has created a situation where it's like, now I am going into the present moment. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You don't go into the present moment. You're never not the present moment. What you are is now. Okay? You are what is looking for freedom. And that which is looking for freedom is freedom itself. So this work really is kind of like just rolling your eyes back into your head. Going, oh, there it is. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's bizarre. <laughs> but do you kind of you know, understand what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's what's behind the seeing. It's what prior to the seeing, prior to the thinking, prior to the feeling, prior. It's that which is prior. It's always already here. There's nothing you need to do. It's a lot you need to undo, right? A lot you need to let go of. And the, 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 the road to that, the red carpet into that house, into that, that club, right, <laughs> is all about staying alert, watching with curiosity. Yeah. Um, when you say I think, that's automatic ego. That's, that's just always ego talking. But um, 
I wonder if, um, you know, maybe when you say I think instead of I know or enough, is there, that could be instinct talking too, and maybe instinct is a connectedness with something greater than yourself. And it's hard to express that without saying I. You could say we think, but then you sound like a bad Star Trek episode. Right. So. <laughs> I love that metaphor. That's the best metaphor in months. The bad Star Trek. Think of your ego as William Shatner. We are overacting. <laughs> um, language, I mean, as you can tell, gets in the way here so much. The minute we say, I think, especially if we couple that with, I think, therefore, I am. We get into the whole Cartesian mess, which is, I am my mind. However, if we blew the translation, which I have argued, and I don't speak Latin or Italian, but if what if he instead, instead of I think, therefore I am, cogito ergo sum was, I'm conscious, therefore I am. Then he suddenly becomes a Zen master. Okay. So it's your relationship to the thought once again. All right? There's nothing wrong with thinking, okay? But if you're clinging to the thought, you are clinging to non-awakening. And when our instinct is coming from a place of like deep deep openness, that that's great. I just I've rarely ever seen instinct do that. Instinct usually is habitual egoic energy that spirals us in the eddy, in some eddy along the side of the stream of life. So instinct usually involves some variation of fight or flight that is captained by the ego. <laughs> it's Captain Kirked, right? And just as bad in that whole process is Spock, who's all about, it's logical, you know, or whatever. Can you believe that was only on for three seasons, two seasons? Is it two? Who knows? Still but yeah, but it, it's, it's like 66 to 60. They had like, what, 35 episodes, and it's like redefined the way we look at. Sorry, I was editorializing there. But uh, I'm sure there's a great children's book, uh, Star Trek, Your Way to Awakening, that maybe we could write as a sanga. Um, <laughs> right. That's that's my next. <laughs> yeah, that would sell. Yeah. <clears throat> well, earlier, you were talking about the um, three shortcuts and about um, the importance of the sangha, mm -hmm. and so I'm wondering how. In practical terms, do I get this kind uh, of encouragement or mm -hmm. whatever from this sangha? And do I contribute that back to it? You ready? Ask questions. It's the single greatest gift you can give to anybody in this room is coming up with a question, whether you ask it publicly or not. doesn't matter. It's in the questioning. What you've just done is you've taken the ego out of, even if it's temporarily, out of your mix. And then you're just you. Right? 
And that's what happens is, as we start to, I mean, you will find that among the, the healthiest things that can occur in, a, in a, a, a spiritual circle is when people, like, walk out and they go, I have no idea what just happened. You know, they're just absolutely lost. Yet, there's some kind of, something's sitting right. Because what, what's happened then is the mind is no longer able to manage or control or any of the experience. It's, had, it's been forced into the, you know, out of the driver's seat. And when you can consciously allow for yourself to, to question, to be curious, to let the ego out of the driver's seat, you're giving a tremendous amount of unspoken power to everyone in the group. It's a really beautiful thing, kind of how that works. It's just about, it's about wonder. It's about being, just being open to whatever happens. So is it bringing your own presence fully into this room? Yeah. And then that's picked up on by others? Miraculously and mysteriously. Just be all here. Be all here. Be generous. Be generous. Yeah, Adele. In regards to the secret mm -hmm. movie book, um, what do you think about visualization? As it, as it relates, like to the secret and so forth, right, or and your future and changing mm -hmm. your future and making it better. What, oh, what I do think, you think about that? I think visualizations are great, and I think the secret's great. Uh, except, I what I what I struggle with is as I've I've watched the the secret kind of grow I think this is a marvelous form of intention you know here's what I'm gonna actually hang out with people that are good for me as opposed to bad for me there couldn't be a more healthy response to a life that isn't going the way you want it to go so so when egos can run us like I said into eddies off on the side of the flow right that may not be healthy. My concern with the secret is that the secret and its basic tenets are all about ego. The whole thing is what I want mm -hmm. yeah. and what I don't want, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So instead of accepting life and going from that place of surrender, which actually opens us as a vessel to the universal flow and will create abundance, we instead give the old ego one more shot at trying to control how we can get that Ferrari. You know? If I picture the Ferrari, I mean, I'm making that up, but it's, I remember that one scene in it where I just like doubled over cracking up with the kid in the bike. You mean if I think about the bike enough, it'll just manifest? Why, yes it does! And oh my God, what a, ugh, that's like heroin for addicts, you know? <laughs> you know, and, and our, greatest, our greatest addiction is to ego. So I think we need to be really careful about that. On the one hand, there's some really healthy stuff that can come from intentionally living, living a life uh, and doing it, you know, from, from a place of, of, of consciously meeting what is and working with what is. Visualizations, they're great. They're great, but they're entirely limited in their scope because when we do a visualization or whatever, if you think about it, what, is it, what are we creating? We're creating a picture onto which 
we can cling. And that's not awakening. No. Awakening, awakening is what's behind the impulse to the artist's brush. Okay? So we're talking about something much bigger, and that's not to take anything away from, you know, where, where the secret is, I think, pushing a lot of people who otherwise might not have even, you know, thought about an interior life. You know, so in that, in that regard, I think it's probably pretty healthy. But visualizations, I mean, there, there are Buddhist traditions that, that are deep into the, you know, uh, visualizations and so forth. It only hits us at what we call the, the level of mind or, or the, um, we have the uh, how do I want to describe it? Ego. Yeah. Um, it's, we, can, we can look at it as the, what we call the Sambhogakaya, okay, as opposed to the, the uh, Nirmanakaya, which is this stuff, stuff you can grasp, stuff in your mind, Sambhogakaya, and we have the Dharmakaya, which is be, beyond all thoughts, all feelings, all time, which is what I was talking about tonight. There's another whole level. So fill that, fill whatever level you, you, you like with your full intention, your, your full attention, and it carries us immediately into that spaciousness. And you can only find that in the stillness. And, the, and with your awareness in oh, the moment. Only ever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thanks for coming tonight, guys. Mm -hmm.